Hello, you're listening to Wine Blast with me, Susie Barry, and my husband and fellow master of wine, Peter Richards. And this episode is all about sommeliers. Mm, it's a biggie. It is. Right. Big topic, uh, big personalities, big issues, um, and big uh, length. It's long. It's long. Yeah, it's a long one. You know, warning. <laughs> You're here for a while. <laughs> Stick with us, because you know we've just got so much fascinating, uh, thought-provoking, controversial stuff. I mean, it's really, really exciting. There's so much good stuff here. Um, we're going to be exploring what a sommelier um, and a master sommelier is and should be. Um, we're going to be looking at how the pandemic and lockdowns have affected sommeliers. We're going to be looking at sort of addressing the issue of diversity. Uh, or the lack of it um, in the sommelier community, and the series of scandals um, that have affected the Court of Master Sommeliers Americas. Um, quite a story. Um, and, you know, really, we're just going to be considering what the future might hold for what is, you know, a, a proud and, and, and historic profession. It's a lot um, to get through, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. A proper roller coaster. Now, it's important to say from the start, though, that this episode is intended as a celebration of mm. sommeliers. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Or well, SOMs, as they, they're known in the trade. Um, and I think there was a time, wasn't there, let's face it, when Sommeliers had a bit of a bad name. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> yeah. the stereotypical yeah. arrogant Frenchman trying to flog <laughs> you a, a very expensive bottle of wine that you didn't really want. Yeah. Um, yeah. But by and large, that has all changed now. It's and totally these changed. these yeah. are people, aren't they, that are working incredibly hard to offer hospitality in the best sense of the word. Mm, mm, and uh, yeah. and I think it's fair to say we've missed them and their restaurants, haven't oh, we, during lockdown? my word. Heavens above. How we've, we've so missed all of that, haven't we? All of us have. Um, and, and I know we all just can't wait to get back to normality. I think it's different uh, situations in different countries right now. But I think we also just wanted to say, before we start, um, that this episode was kind of inspired by for personal reasons as well wasn't it it was originally um, yeah yeah we yeah. well and so we well let's let's face it we want to dedicate this episode to the mm. memory of both Terry Threlfall mm. and Gerard Basset uh, so two sommeliers and two good friends of ours who are very much missed not just by us but by the whole community uh, sommelier community the world over mm. um to Terry was born in Vancouver we first met him when he was a sommelier at Shea Bruce didn't we in London and he was mm. just such a gentle soul uh, and a so brilliant sommelier uh, partly because of being gentle and yeah and yeah and I mean he died far too young he was 43 mm, um so mm, so yes. very young when he died mm. recently thank you for everything Terry um yeah Gerard was was based just down the road from us as well wasn't he he was a Frenchman adopted wholeheartedly by us Brits um he was hugely talented um, he helped found the Hotel Divan, which went on to amazing things. Uh, he won the world champion sommelier title, the kind of World Cup mm. for sommeliers. Um, I'm sitting here smiling because I just Oscars. think you can't you can't think I of know. Gerard without smiling, can you? I, I mean, mean, he really. probably was one of the best known of all sommeliers, wasn't he? Yeah. His time. Um, but, but despite that, and this was the mark of the man. This is why he was so lovely. He was just so humble, wasn't yeah. he? He was so kind of supportive of other people all the time. Um, so, so polite. It's polite, gracious, so charming. Yeah, yeah, charming. and and. and and um, the lovely thing is his legacy does live on. Um, mm. Tasting Victory, his memoirs, were yeah. published uh, just shortly after That's he died. Great, yeah. Yeah. And then more recently, which we want to talk about, the new Golden Vines Diversity Awards were set up mm. in Gerard's memory uh, with the aim of promoting diversity in the wine world with bursaries worth up to 55 
thousand pounds. That's a lot of money. It's a lot. It's a lot of money. We're going to come on to that in yeah. a bit, though. Uh, a bit more details, but um, I think we should just sum up this bit by saying we should consider this episode as a glass firmly raised to Terry and Gerard. A glass of something very fine. Very, very fine. Well, whatever you want, whatever makes you happy, actually. Yeah. Um, and indeed to all sommeliers around the world, you know, whose work, I think it's fair to say, you know, we, we, we cherish, we, we, we admire. We do, we do. So in this episode, we have got the most amazing lineup of people. Emily Wines, and that is her real name, is a Master Sommelier and Chair of the Court of Master Sommeliers Americas. Uh, Audrey Anoantwi is a sommelier at Lawn Restaurant in London and an ambassador for the Be Inclusive Hospitality Movement. And Jason Wise is the director of the famous Somme Movies. Mm. And they all have fascinating things to say. What a lineup. Um, we'll also be tasting and recommending a few wines from Help for Hospitality, uh, where it's a scheme where, where money from wines that you buy goes to help hospitality and sommeliers. Um, what else have we got? We've also got a giveaway, haven't we? Uh, of a couple of packs of blinders, which is a fun card game, um, <clears throat> excuse me, from Som TV, which is based around blind tasting. Um, but it's, it's, it's not just for experts, it's for everyone. Um, we'll tell you a bit more about that a bit later on, how to enter and stuff. That's going to be after Jason's interview. It is. So let's get started mm. now. So we've been lucky enough to work with many sommeliers in our time, from our mm. What Food, What Wine competition to, uh, to awards like the Decanter World Wine Awards, the Wine GB Awards, and more recently on Wine Masters TV, with the likes of Andreas Larson, uh, Pat Levinson mm-hmm. and uh, Freddie Linforce. We also, of course, appreciate their art and skill regularly when we can on the restaurant floor. We really do, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we've had um, some great recommendations from oh, brilliant sommeliers. Yeah, we have. Um, and, and we've enjoyed their company. And I think it's fair to say, you know, we've been chatting uh, with our sommelier friends and, and sort of empathising with how tough things have been for hospitality and everyone involved in it. Um, you know, it's estimated that more than 100 thousand restaurants have shut down in the US because of the COVID pandemic. Um, That's left more than 3 million people unemployed. And the losses uh, so far are estimated at about $240 billion. Uh, In the UK, it's not much better. Um, Hospitality was down £72 billion in 2020. That's equivalent to £200 million a day lost. Uh, it's, it's, it's sort of a, a 54% drop on normal turnover. It's estimated that nearly 10,000 licensed venues, so pubs or restaurants, have permanently closed in the UK in 2020. And it's not as if 2021 is plain sailing either. As we all know, you know, revenues are forecast to drop by 30 billion this year too. So mm, it's, a, it's a pretty bleak scenario. Um, mm, mm. And I think there are likely to be long lasting implications on budgets uh, and mm. therefore staff in hospitality. Uh, Some restaurants have already sold their entire wine cellars to just tide them over. And it certainly seems sommeliers are going to have to adapt to survive, um, Mm. whether that's taking on multiple roles in restaurants, for example, you know, doing front of house, waiting on tables and the wine service, Mm. or just doing other things, you know, online events, sales, retail, social media. Yeah, to be honest, a lot of sommeliers would be doing that anyway. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Uh, But I think it's going to assume more and more importance, isn't it? But... um, it's fair to say that this is not all the sommeliers have had to deal with lately, no. is it? Um, so the George Floyd killing uh, and Black Lives Matter protests have shone an uncomfortable spotlight on the lack of diversity in the wine world in general um, and the sommelier community in particular. What's more, the Me Too movement has given women sommeliers the courage to, to come forward 
uh, with pretty hard-hitting accounts of discrimination, bullying and sexual harassment. Mm. And nowhere have these issues played out in more public and traumatic fashion than in the Court of Master Sommeliers Americas. So just briefly, the the Court of Master Sommeliers is the organisation that oversees the education and examination system for sommeliers. And there are four levels to it. You've got introductory, certified, advanced and master. So the first master exam was held in 1969 in the UK. To date, in 52 years, there have been only 269 passes in the Master Sommelier exam. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah. It's an incredible, well, maybe it's not so mad because it is an incredibly difficult exam process that covers blind tasting, theory and service, and not just for wine, but also for spirits, beer and cigars. So its self-stated aim is to encourage improved standards of beverage knowledge and service in hotels and restaurants. Yeah, so the Court of Master Sommeliers was set up in 1977, and its American chapter as it's known. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of terminology chapter. here, isn't there? Yes, it's, um, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the American sort of division unusual. or chapter is called the Court of Master Sommeliers Americas, <clears throat> excuse me, and it was established in 1997. Um, now, the qualifications gained particular traction in the US, didn't they? Um, yeah. For whatever reason. <laughs> you know, so there the Master Sommelier title has, has, has pretty much eclipsed the Master of Wine title. Um, and it's also fair to say that sommeliers have just sort of gained a sort of celebrity status, haven't they? Um, yeah. I think it's a trend fueled partly by the, by the 2012 yeah. release of, of the Somme documentary, which we'll come on to in a bit. But in 2018, the first of several scandals hit the Court of Master Sommeliers Americas, didn't it? Yeah. In September 2018, 23 people passed the Master Sommelier tasting exam. It was the most successful year in the exam's history. But... Shortly afterwards, the result was invalidated after it emerged that a Court of Master Sommeliers Americas board member had revealed the identity of two of the blind wines in that exam to a small number of candidates. Now, there was no suggestion that all the candidates had cheated, but all of them were stripped of their MS title. Now, this was Devastating for those people who had studied for years, spent thousands of dollars trying to get this qualification and then passed the exam only to have the double whammy of their MS title being rescinded and suspicion of cheating cast upon them. You know, more ill will was generated in 2020 when um, the Court of Master Sommeliers Americas was was accused of botching its response to the Black Lives Matter protests, which we've mentioned, Mm. um, with younger members apparently furious that the court wouldn't express uh, swift and and unequivocal support for racial justice. An anti-racism pledge and and non-discrimination policy were later clarified, but some people termed it too little too late. Yeah. Then the real bombshell hit. Uh, In October 2020, a piece was published in the New York Times entitled The Wine World's Most Elite Circle Has a Sexual Harassment Problem. 21 women in the US had come forward to say they'd been sexually harassed, manipulated or assaulted by male master sommeliers. They also claimed the abuse is an ongoing problem of which the leadership has long been aware. Now, the initial response from the Court of Master Sommeliers Americas was deemed to be unsatisfactory. Um, and since then, things have moved on. Uh, as of March 2021, when we're recording, um, several Master Sommeliers have been suspended pending an external investigation. 
And the entire board has been replaced uh, with the new board issuing a statement saying the following. Uh, This new board of directors understands that this is a pivotal point. The Court of Master Sommeliers America's board welcomes its memberships and larger communities ideas, tough conversations and willingness to hold the organisation accountable as it fundamentally transforms for the better. So we obviously wanted to get the view from inside the Court of Master Sommeliers Americas and who better to talk to than its brand new chair of the board, Emily Wines, Master Sommelier. Emily's based out of Oakland, California and leads the wine programme at Cooper's Hawk, a restaurant chain and wine producer with a wine club membership numbering nearly half a million people. I wanted to start at the beginning, so I asked her as a Master Sommelier to, to define her profession. What is a sommelier? Uh, to me, a psalm really comes down to service. It's really about uh, being, it, it's having an expertise in wine that really involves interfacing with people in a very personal way, Un, um, unlike other wine experts who, who do a lot of writing or, or do research or who are very cerebral. Sommeliers need to be really quick on their feet and be able to interact with people in real time, which is why the, the master sommelier examination is all oral. There's a lot of service elements. It involves um, just a lot of gracious service and, and again, a lot of interaction with people. And, uh, and that can sometimes overlap into retail, but primarily a sommelier refers to service in a restaurant setting. And so would you say there's one thing that, that makes a great sommelier? It's understanding your guest. It's, a, it's somebody who can really read what where their guest is at and um, who doesn't have their own agenda. You know, so many times sommeliers are like, oh, but I just love these wines from the Jura and you're going to, you have to drink this. And um, <laughs> you see that all the time. It's like, oh, the story is so great. And they're not actually paying attention to what their guests are looking for or what their comfort level is, whether it be in what they want to spend or what they want to drink. And a great sommelier understands where their guests are and they meet them there. So how do you think, um, I mean, we know that the, the, the hospitality has been devastated by lockdown. How have you been affected in your professional life? It's been really interesting. I mean, I've been really fortunate to be able to to work continually through this. Um, the job that I do now is has really been um, a little bit of a hybrid. It's not a traditional sommelier role, but I, it's still been about the kind of the fundamental pieces of being a sommelier where I'm connecting with our guests. Um, it's about, um, it's all been virtual, doing virtual events and doing a lot of online content for, for my company and, and you know, doing videos and social events and, and hosting events where you know, people can interact and talk and chat. And I've been emailing much more regularly with our, with our guests and, and just creating that connection because I think that connection right now is just so deeply important to everyone. And, and so obviously you've kept working. Do you think, do you think, how do you think the, the sommelier profession as a whole will come out of, of the pandemic and actually just even out of lockdown? Will it be a case of what you're saying that people will need to do more of what you've been doing? It's been really tough. I mean, it, is, it is an industry that has just been devastated. I think most most sommeliers are either unemployed. They are um, a lot of them are doing virtual events, virtual tasting. So again, they're still doing that guest connection piece. Um, they're working as restaurant managers, servers, delivery drivers. You know, it, I believe that it will come back. It's it, it is. Um, 
kind of coming back fast and furious in the U.S. right now, um, but you know, not fast enough for a lot of these guys. So, I mean, it has been tough. We know that recently for for everyone, but but particularly sommeliers, I think, and for many reasons. And um, obviously, we've just talked about the pandemic, but it has also been a pretty bumpy ride in your part of the world for the Court of Master Sommeliers America. Yes. Um, yes. With I think the whole board recently were replaced um you are now the new chair of the board so congratulations <laughs> what are you. the what are the highest priorities for you on your to-do list uh it's pretty massive i mean the really the, the big the number one priority is about rebuilding trust in our organization we have been in in a in a position of power in our industry for a very long time and i think that particularly in the united states with the with the, um, the sommelier movies and, and TV shows and things that have happened, it's really given our, our position a, um, a certain celebrity, which is um, which has certainly been nice in terms of you know giving our, our careers some elevation. However, or you know that, that you know that that even that industry is an elevation. But at the same time, I think that it's also added a little bit more power to some people that has given them put them in a position to take advantage. And, um, and, you know, there's a lot of bad behavior across the entire industry around um, just, uh, you know, inappropriate behavior, sexual, sexually inappropriate behavior in particular. And we see this with the Me Too movement in particular, where women all around the world are, are being empowered to speak out and say that this isn't okay. And the Court of Master Sommeliers in particular is being held out as an example of really bad behavior. And yes, there's been a lot of bad behavior. And my priority is to really turn things around and, and hopefully let us become an example of good behavior and a way to uh, hold ourselves to a higher standard. And so that, that is the work that we're doing now. And so your aims and aspirations for the next sort of five, five to 10 years, what, what would they be? It's a few things. One of them is is around really setting very strong code of ethics that, that doesn't just uh, speak to master sommeliers, but goes out into the entire sommelier community, because I don't believe that that bad behavior just starts once somebody becomes a master sommelier. I know that it, it starts earlier on. So if we can begin to create a culture that is inclusive and respectful and um, really open to all that, uh, that, that we can you know, that then that culture really begins to bring everyone along. I also want that the our organization to become something that's much more community focused. I believe that that for the longest time we've been viewed as this sort of you know the pinnacle of of our um, of our field. And there's certainly as a master sommelier, there there's truth to that. However, we are in service to the community as opposed to you know at the top of the community. And so I really would like to see a broader inclusion of those community voices and, uh, and bringing them into the organization in a very different way. In order to move forward, you want to move forward, you want to change or regain your good reputation. Does that mean people will have to go? People will be stripped of their MS? It's very possible. Um, you know, we, what we are looking at in, in terms of the complaints that have come through is and, and at this at this time we don't know what all of the complaints are. We have engaged with with uh, um, an outside investigator um, as well as an outside reporting line that has taken in a lot of the information. So we have a um, 
we have a good idea what a lot of the complaints are. However, this investigator is pulling in a lot more information. So at the moment, we have a number of master sommeliers who are suspended. And uh, once the investigation is concluded, we'll determine some of those master sommeliers, you know, we will determine were maybe unknowing that they did something offensive and it was, um, you know, that now they know that that's offensive and they shouldn't do that again. Perhaps it was unprofessional. Perhaps it was unethical. Perhaps it was unsafe. Perhaps it was, you know, unbecoming a master sommelier. Perhaps it was illegal. Uh, you know, so we have to kind of determine where the where on the scale or the spectrum those things fall. And and I am certain that there will be some master sommeliers who will be stripped of their title as a result. So the wine world as a whole is is often criticised for its lack of inclusivity and diversity. How do you think that can be addressed? better, changed, um, improved? That's, um, I mean, that's, that's been a really hot topic of conversation this year. And, I, and I'm so glad that it, it, that it, that it, even though what has triggered it has been very um, painful, it's been really good. And, you know, the, the, the wine world, of course, has been so Eurocentric and so white for so long, but, um, and, and we've looked, of course, at the, at the uh, Master Sommelier program as being, you know, that this was a merit-based program, it was a meritocracy, open to all. Um, but in but in truth, even though yes, it's like anybody can come in, when you realize that the the barriers to even entering in the first place are very challenging, you know, we have to start looking at that. When you look at restaurants and you realize that that who goes to work in restaurants, as you go up the scale to more fine dining restaurants. The people who work in the front of the house become more white and more male. And so that means that the people who are then going into the sommelier positions are even more white and male. So if you want to have more women and more people of color and going into those positions in the first place, you have to start looking at the bottom. And so what the things that we are we are doing uh, in, I think in the wine industry, what we have to be doing is looking at young people who think who would never consider wine as a profession. Um, or or even think that wine could that there's some facet of wine that could suit their profession, um, you know. So I think that even going into colleges and offering some glimpse of the world of wine, and, and what I would say by that is it is uh, in the United States at Cornell they offer a wine appreciation course. So all of these business students are being exposed to wine. And there's a potential that some of them can come out of business school and go and do business in wine. Why aren't we doing that at the historically black colleges and universities in the U.S.? So this is one of the things that we are looking at through um, our diversity program with the Court of Master Sommeliers and some of the other many organizations that have popped up are, are addressing as well. Um, how do we start showing more of these young people just the, the, the opportunities that wine culture is not just for white people? Um, it's really important. And, and I think it will, it will make the wine industry more interesting, honestly. So just moving on to what you do, um, you're, you have a senior role at, at Cooper's Hawk, um, which describes itself as a wine-driven dining experience, uh, whose mission, as you've described it, is to democratise the good life. Um, it sounds great to me. What do you mean by that? <laughs> so Cooper's Hawk is really interesting. Having come out of the, the luxury world of wine, Cooper's Hawk is, is the opposite. It's, the, it's like it's wine for the 99%. We take make wine super approachable and accessible. It's it's it is primarily our restaurants are all in the suburbs, 
Um, and they are in communities that are really hungry for wine and they drink a lot of wine, but they're places that are often overlooked by big, big mainstream wine culture. And um, we, uh, so we bring this wine experience. It's, it's sort of like going into Napa and going to a tasting room and uh, being able to interact with wine, learn about wine and do wine pairings with your food um, in this, uh, in this very sort of traditional chain restaurant setting. That's, that's, beautiful and very wine centric and wine and wine themed. And um, we have a lot of fun. It's uh, it is great. It's bringing wine culture to everyone. Just as a final, a final question, you know, this is an episode about celebrating sommeliers. I just want to ask you what you think the future holds for sommeliers around the world. And do you have a positive outlook? I do have a positive outlook. I think that sommeliers have really changed. And I, this is something that I've been saying for a long time that, you know, the, the sommelier of the 1960s is so different. And, and today, you know, a sommelier could, could, could be very different ethnically, uh, could be female, could be uh, transgender, could be not pairing wine with lobster thermidor, could be pairing wine with hummus in a really quirky ethnic restaurant, not white tablecloth. And I think it's really exciting. It, it's really the um, opportunities for sommeliers have become so broad. And so our definition of what a sommelier is needs to continue to evolve along with it. Emily Wines, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Likewise, likewise. Take care. (laughs) Wow. Um, Lots to pick up on there. Um, But I guess also uh, most of it speaks for itself, doesn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I guess the next chapter of the story will happen when the investigation is complete. So we can't sort of pre- mm-hmm. prejudge that. Um, and also, you know, whatever actions taken by the Court of Master Sommeliers Americas. But I think it's fair to say this isn't the end of it all just no, yet, is it? No, it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I, what I want to do is pick up on something El- Emily said about um, diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is also an opportunity to reshape things, to have a stronger code of ethics, more Mm -hmm. transparency, more inclusivity, Mm -hmm. more diversity. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you think about all those people who have suffered or been marginalised or bullied or Mm -hmm. discriminated against or sexually abused, it's awful um and it you know and the other thing is it's not just the new york times piece you can read it in and we have in so many books that have come out lately you know we've got cork dork or victoria james's wine girl um vignette Um, by jane lopez uh you know all really difficult stories to read um Mm. but you know on the other hand looking on the positive side this is a chance it's a chance for the court of master sommeliers americas and the wider sommelier community to reset Mm. to i don't know cut out the the rotten bits of the apple and and to get ahead of the game and be a beacon Mm. yeah really lead Mm -hmm. diversity opportunity and and equality proper equality couldn't agree more it's it's an opportunity it's it's been a a torrid time but that's also an opportunity isn't it um so so you know fingers crossed they can make that work you know we wish emily all the best in 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 the task ahead um and moving on um we wanted to get a different perspective didn't we you know yeah touching on the same kind of issues Mm -hmm. but um um, we spoke to Audrey Anno Antwi, uh, who works as sommelier in front of house at Lawn Restaurant in London. Yeah, but not just that. Uh, Audrey, Audrey's multi-talented. Uh, <laughs> she's an ambassador for Be Inclusive mm. Hospitality, a new organisation set up to facilitate equality and diversity in the 
hospitality industry. Uh, she's studying for her Wine and Spirit Education Trust diploma. Mm-hmm. Uh, she hosts events and she also runs an Instagram account entitled mm. Ensenom, which uh, which means the act of drinking in Twi, which is a, a Ghanaian dialect. Mm. And mm. she in that she explores food mm. and wine. Yeah, and, and, and lots of stuff, actually, beer and cider and other things too. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, I, I asked her, I asked her what her favourite bit about being a sommelier is. So I work in a small restaurant. So as well as being part of the wine service, I serve customers as well, generally. But I think my favourite part is just when, you know, the restaurant scene is set and you you present someone with a wine that they genuinely love and you can see that they're enjoying it and they just say, such a such a good wine and then I can just scuttle away and let them enjoy <laughs> enjoy the wine enjoy the company because that is why people go to restaurants enjoy the delightful food and then I know my work my work is done so <laughs> and, and do you think that that is I mean, what makes a great sommelier being able to find that perfect wine for each customer or is it something else I think there's there's many things I think the Sommelier themselves has to be kind of personal, personable, and you need to be able to gauge what your what what your customer wants. Because you know, there's some customers who want to talk talk a lot about the talk a lot about the wine, talk a lot about the food, and there's some who have who will already have a very like high level of knowledge. They just want to kind of have a wine a wine that's great, and they really just want you to leave them alone. So, um, <laughs> It's kind of being able to to gauge what people want, give it to them, play play your role, and just let the evening's magic unfold at its pace. <laughs> so you're an ambassador, ambassador for Be Inclusive Hospitality, as you said, um, and it was recently set up to drive education and uh, accelerate racial equality in the industry. What does hospitality uh, and the wine world need to do, do you think, to be more inclusive and more diverse oh it's a it's a real it's a real tough one but i think one of the important things that be inclusive hospitality are doing is actually collecting the data so i think sometimes if you have something that is acknowledged as a problem but a lot of the people who might have issues you don't tend to see them you don't tend to hear from them no data has been collected so then when things do come to light, it's like, oh, but where where is the proof and the data and, what, and whatever? But now that things are being collected, there'll be more kind of focused reports. And I think even just shining a spotlight on people who work in the industry, because one of the things that's often been highlighted is that there are quite there are a few of us working within the area we have never met each other never kind of see each other so having be inclusive exist is that this is the first time that a lot of us will meet each other facilitate the important conversations have panels and they're also setting up a mentorship a mentorship scheme career coaching a lot of access to services that you wouldn't even necessarily have known were available I think especially with the area of wine it's like when even trying to get your foot in the door sometimes it's kind of you think what are the jobs that exist within the area where do I begin who can I who can I talk to and I think it's important that now there's more kind of 
provisions being provided where if it is something you want to consider there's a lot of but again there's the be inclusive um mentorship scheme that's coming but there's also just like panels talks and some i think there's some um bursaries and things i was going to say because i mean there, there seem to be quite a few scholarships don't there being offered at the moment to to the bame community um for example the gerard basset golden vines scholarships yeah. um i mean what do you think of of those kind of things are, are they going to make a big difference i'm i'm optimistic about them but then also you have to think of where where a lot of these schemes are being like presented is their access to know how to apply for these things readily available even because sometimes it's just oh there's this scheme but then when you talk about it to other people they're just like oh the scheme it exists it's just like it's good for it to be there but if people don't know it's there then it's getting the word out then yeah yeah I think I think that's an important part but when it comes to wine wine education especially people who may not have started in the area like very early, you might have to fund part of your study yourself. The expense, <laughs> it's a serious cost. Mm-hmm. And I think especially if you don't, if you're not yet in the wine industry, it becomes like prohibitively expensive in terms of the costs of the the wines that you might have to do to do like taste for practice tasting. And if you don't really have any friends who work in the industry either to share the costs around yeah it can really so it's very much making sure everybody knows and spreading that word so yeah for wine industry the whole community anybody interested in it can definitely well they certainly have access and they know about it whether they wanted to use that or not I mean yes can I can I ask you what your personal experience has been of inclusivity um, or or a lack of it in the wine world well I think this is just this is just my per, my personal experience but when you go to wine tastings wine events a lot of the time I'm one of the like ha- I can count the amount of people who look like me on on one hand or if at a push two like <laughs> and it just becomes a bit a bit strict it's it's a bit it's a bit strange when you don't see kind of anyone, anyone like yourself, but it's one of these things where the, it's the perception of who, who works in, who works with wine that becomes problematic because a lot of the time people will not take, take you seriously at all. Well, they're just kind of like, I'm, ve- I'm aware of my visibility, but then I'm also like in quite invisible. So sometimes it's just, it's just yeah it's just a bit of dissonance but my experiences have been uh, okay I'm going to ask you one last question actually Uh, this is just this is just this is just a a silly one so do you have an ultimate lockdown wine oh do you know one thing I've really been kind of looking into with um cooking more gardening foods and pairing it with wines is um like lighter lighter red lighter reds but those that have kind of good flavor intensity maybe a bit of a spicier character so I'm trying to find like the ultimate kind of light reds and rosés to pair with spicier foods so I think those have kind of been my my lockdown my lockdown wines but also I recently discovered the wonderful world of cider (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing it's like you know when you think 
you you love one beverage and then you find your heart can open up to the others so, so there's been some interesting like um discoveries in cider there's I've I bought a Perry. I've not drank it yet. That's been aged in sauternes and um, Merceau barrels, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> so, so the I'm looking world forward. Is, cider yes, world is the next next uh, mountain to climb. Fantastic. Yeah, it's just interesting how over time how these worlds the the separation. It's like the barriers of separation are becoming less and everyone's just like, they'll add a grape skin to this, use some wine leaves in this, use the yeast, use this barrel for that. And it's just, yeah, very exciting. Brilliant. Audrey Anoantri, thank you <laughs> so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Perry aged in sauterne barrels. <laughs> Perry, I like honest, the idea. Uh, Audrey, I, like I want to know more idea. about that. But anyway, um, as she says, you know, hopefully the barriers of separation are coming down in all kinds of senses. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and actually, what, what I do want to mention, and uh, we should just mention that if you're listening to this on the day of, of release, Audrey is hosting uh, a, yeah. a webinar uh, to celebrate International Women's Month. Uh, it's on Friday, the 26th of March, 6 pm GMT, uh, entitled Women of the Grape and Grain. It's got a great lineup, so, uh, so do tune in. You can register via Eventbrite, or I mean, I, I imagine you can catch up afterwards, yeah, probably so. via yeah. Be Inclusive mm, Hospitality. Mm, mm. And, and funnily enough, I did actually ask her about being a woman in wine, and mm. she said mm. that it was just a bit weird being part of a doubly underrepresented group. <laughs> it's very <laughs> Audrey. But she also made a, a really good point about access to support and initiatives yeah. and awards, didn't she? And I think this is worth flagging out. You know, that there needs to be better communication. Um, better links between the wine world and communities it needs to reach um you know which i think echoes what emily it's was pretty saying, much what it? emily was saying exactly, about, it? Yes. about the cmsa needs to get into black colleges and universities and that way you know yeah. that will help make wine more diverse and ultimately more yeah. interesting place yeah and i mean audrey and i we, we did touch on the um the gerard basset golden vines diversity yeah. award specifically in in the interview mm. um which we also mentioned in our introduction so we should i think just maybe now just yeah, explain that yeah, a bit yeah. um so, so these awards have come out of the gerard basset wine education charitable foundation say that again really quickly <laughs> no um, anyway this was <laughs> the foundation was set up in memory of Gerard to to address the wine industry's most pressing issues through education training and mentorship mm. The Golden Vines are a broader set of awards, but the Golden Vines Diversity Awards will include two scholarships for aspiring black and ethnic minority students to take the Master of Wine or MS programme. Now, these scholarships are worth up to £55,000 each. £55,000 £55, each. Uh, and they mm. offer internships in some of the world's best wine estates you know yes, when I looked at that list uh, yeah, unbelievable mm, mm. so these awards um, they're open to candidates all over the world um, the application deadline is the 16th of April 2021 and you can find it at liquidicons.com now um, moving on Audrey did use a turn of phrase about a sommelier's job which I loved in that interview I'm not sure if you picked up oh, on that, but it, it was um, to let the evening's magic unfold Oh, it's just, that is a beautiful, beautiful it's a really, place. yeah, um, no, it's, it's beautiful. And Emily also mentioned movies and TV shows about sommeliers. So bringing the two things together, there's one person who's <laughs> taken that sommelier magic and put it on screen. 
Uh, and that's Jason Wise. Um, so we can do this episode without hearing from him. Indeed. So uh, so Jason is, uh, just to fill in a bit of background, Jason's a filmmaker who shot to prominence through his 2012 documentary, Som, uh, which follows four US candidates through the gruelling journey to, to taking the Master Sommelier exam. <laughs> he subsequently made two more Som films uh, with several more films scheduled for imminent release. Mm. Uh, and in 2019, he also launched the food and wine streaming service Som TV. TV now, he's man. made he's made non-wine stuff, but he says, no matter what I do, that's what I'm known for. Mm, wine always gets you, Jason. Um, <laughs> they also have a great, he's also got a great podcast, some TV podcast, well worth checking out. But anyway, uh, I talked to Jason um, and I started by asking him uh, what first enticed him to film the world of wine. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. It's, it's, it's funny to look back at that question and, and I can answer it a little more completely now, but back then it was very chaotic. Um, I was directing a travel show uh, right out of film school, but I was still bartending. You would You would think that paid a lot of money. It does not. Uh, so I was traveling around the world, and uh, it put me all over France and Italy and other places. And uh, while I was in France, uh, I've always been a big, big fan of history. And while I was in France, I was writing a film that took place during World War One. And so I was gonna, I was gonna set it in Champagne. And all of my work up to that point had been with narratives, been with actors. Mm. And so when I couldn't get that film off the ground, which in retrospect seems, yeah, no kidding, because it was a huge budget World War One movie. Um, one of my friends who worked at a restaurant, name was Brian McClintock, was going through the Master Sommelier exam, and he, uh, I went and watched him blind taste, and, and that, that particular movie, I mean, I played sports my whole life, and that particular movie, I think a lot of people have commented on the fact that it plays and looks like a sports movie, and I kind of looked at it that way. So when I walked into Psalm, I did, I never looked at it as a wine film. And so kind of, it was a very chaotic process of getting myself you know, as a young filmmaker into the process of making this movie about sommeliers, which, you know, you have to look back. I feel like, and I hope Sam had something big to do with this. I feel like for the most part, the word sommelier was not a, a vernacular thing, especially, well, at least in the United States. So, you know, I had everyone that thought I was making films about Somalians and all this stuff. And I was like, no, 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 they're, 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 they, they deal with wine, they're curators, blah, blah, blah. But so, yeah, to answer your question, the, the most concise I can, I, it, that's what put me adjacent to wine. But I sort of looked at Psalm as a, as a sports film, and it's a very competitive, you know, bunch of guys treating each other bad. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very similar to, to a locker room. So, yeah. That's fantastic to hear you say it like that, to see. Yes, and I can now you say, say that. I can really see that as well. Uh, it's about the relationships, the people, the dynamics, um, the competitiveness, as you say, is a big part of it, isn't it? But, you know, so you've sort of answered my, my follow-up question, which is going to be that, you know, it's often said that wine doesn't work well on screen. So uh, what's your secret on that front? I, I do think wine can be pretty boring, but I think any subject can be boring. So it's... It's one of these things that I walk into the room with wine and I don't believe wine is actually, I don't think it's a niche. I actually think it's a universe. And so, for instance, I'll, I'll explain it kind of roundabout. My next three or four films, they are about wine. They're set in that world, but they're not. I mean, one of them is about ghosts and it's about a haunted three haunted wineries, uh, ghost wineries in Napa. Another one is about the origin of wine and, and religion, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and other things. And, and we filmed all over the Middle East and Armenia and other places. I look at wine. 
as an incredible springboard into anything else. I mean, you can talk about anything from religion to politics to war to sex to anything when you're talking about wine. And so I guess, you know, I mean, I think it's necessary to talk about what does it taste like? What does it look like? You know, but I'm more interested kind of in what was going on in the world when it was made and and what happened to the winemaker and why did it survive and how did this bottle get so expensive or whatever those concepts are. And I think, I don't think that's a secret. I think it's just, um, I'm relentless and won't, I just don't, I, I am terrified of putting out something bad. <laughs> so I don't know, but the more, the more I've gotten into this world, the more comfortable I feel. Mm. You know, the other thing too is the people who work in wine, I mean, you, even you yourself, it's filled with such great storytellers. And so you don't see that in a lot of other professions. You know, you can make a film about motorcycles and you could have a really interesting person. But by nature, motorcycle people are not storytellers, whereas wine people are. They want to tell you where they found this bottle, when they walked the vineyards, when the land was owned by the Romans, whatever it is. They just they want to tell you at all. So it's, it's kind of naturally built for me. Now, you focus a lot in your movies on uh, master sommeliers in the U.S. Now... Recently, we, we have to sort of bring this up, the, the course of Master Sommeliers Americas was, you know, has been embroiled in a series of, of scandals, uh, including recently some serious accusations of sexual harassment. Do you think what might be termed the, the, the cult of the Master Sommelier, the sort of deification of Master Sommeliers has played a part in that? You know, I, I, it's a tough question to answer. I mean, I, it's impossible not to say yes. To that, to be honest. I mean, I think, and of course, you know, being like sort of this weird window into that world, at least, I, I don't think people realize how the lack of access I actually have. But, hmm. but you know, there was a lot of people who looked at us and said, hey, you know, you're to blame for this. But I'll be honest with you. I think some, I'm not absolving myself from any of this, but I, I think some and these other films are also recognizing what was already there. <laughs> hmm. I do, I, I do believe this very strongly. And I mean, I, uh... Not to defend myself or my team, but, you know, we're a women-led company who are, you know, the women in this company are the reason it actually is good and the films are good and it gets done. And I really mean that. That's not lip service. My wife and, and Nadine, the producers, they are like the most talented people I've ever worked with. But when this whole thing came out, it was funny to watch them, to watch them read the article, be disgusted and yet not be surprised. Like, it's like they didn't know, but also they weren't surprised when they found out some of this mm. stuff, which is a real telling, horrible thing for women in any professional world to have the feeling. And it's like that opened my eyes more than anything. And I think when it comes to the Court of Master Sommeliers, we have never, you know, we don't actually work with them, but they're, a bunch of their members have been in our films, obviously. And if you've seen them, you know, I... This hit me like a ton of bricks and became, it was a very personal thing for me because I, I can just tell you the casts in the next films will be very different. And I think, um, that organization has a hell of a lot of work to do to, you know, if they even can bring themselves back to a, a reputable, you know, situation. I mean, there's so much stuff that, that I have heard since that I wish I, you know, it's tough to say, I wish I had known, but I really wish I had known, you know? Mm. It's uh, a, <clears throat> you know, it's one of these things where I don't think, you know, when you find out that somebody for any reason other than ability wasn't able to do a job that they wanted to do and were qualified to do, it's, um, it's terrible. It's, it, there's no excuse. 
And it's there's so many people who are like, you know, they sit around and they go, well, 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 what about or the, and I think this is the type of situation where, you know, I'm not talking about cancel culture. I'm not talking about just like removing everybody or anything like that. But I think it is one of these things where everybody, everybody, top to bottom, us as filmmakers, that organization, anybody who works in the wine world needs to all look in inside and say, look, this is not. You can't blame one person or even five, but you can blame 10,000 and all of us are at fault and everybody needs to figure out how to move forward because frankly, there's, there's not, there's so much more in the wine world to explore and there's so many smart people out there that are doing it, but there's so much room for more people. And you've said that the cast of your next movies will be very different. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, I mean, first of all, you know, a lot of the, there's a lot of reasons for this. I'm not canceling anybody but in some cases some of it's just we need to move on but in other ways there are so many i mean a lot of these films they take me years to make so it's a funny thing like a film comes out and current events happen you look at it and you're like oh my god i filmed something three years ago that either man i wish i hadn't put that in the film or wow who knew this was going to be so timely it's great so it can go both ways but along the process of doing this stuff and making making Som TV where we're putting out new content almost every single day, you meet a lot of new people. And there are certain people I kind of <laughs> I'm gonna say something that's gonna sound so pretentious and I don't mean for it to be. But I look at like the Som films as kind of like a a Marvel universe type of a thing where like the people that are in it, they're gonna keep being in it. You know, whenever I bring somebody in, you know, Jancis Robinson or Steven Spurrier or any of these people they become part of like the little world we've created because that, I don't think a lot of people think of a film this way, but it is, you know, it's, it's between two walls and they have to live in that world. You know, they're characters, even though they're real people. Mm-hmm. And so I've met like a, there's a, a woman named Shakira Jones that we met making Psalm three at the very beginning in New York city, who has now become not just a cast member of Psalm TV, but she's a writer for our stuff. She is uh she hosts her own podcast She's one of the funniest. I mean, she's just hilarious. I mean, as a character, forget the fact she's a good friend of mine. As a character, she's just hilarious. Um, she will be in two of the three films, and she is in. I have a feature film. I'll get in trouble for saying this. Coming out about the Rothschilds, and she is in that one as well. Yeah, so we need a bit of sc- the odd scoop or two, Jace. So you know, you released some 2012. You said um, since then you've gone on to release um, two other some movies. Um, you've got others coming up, which you've, you've given us a few scoops on already, which is brilliant. You've also created Som TV, which is what you said, so the food and wine streaming service and your podcast. Um, so you've kind of got a mini Som TV empire now, haven't you, which is, which is fantastic. Was, was that always the plan or has it just evolved that way? Oh, I'd love to say it was always the plan. I think, uh, you know, you know, it's funny. Steven Spurrier is the one who, who really – walked me into taking the, the dive on Som TV because when, when I made Som 3 with him and that, it was a dream to work with him and Jancis. I mean, as soon as I really got into the world, I realized here are the people I really want to work with at some point. And we just started chatting, chatting, chatting. He's like, I feel like you could make like four of these a year or something he said to me. And I said, well, I mean, it sounds expensive and tiring. And then I started thinking about it. And then I talked to him a little later and Som TV kind of came out of the idea of maybe he's right. Maybe we, maybe, maybe I'm only, you know, the energy is just being held back by, others telling me to make stuff you know so we created our own distribution platform so that i can make stuff whenever we want <laughs> you know as long as we can release it um i guess it you know i don't know if empire is the right word because it's 
all of you know all of our cast and crew and everybody has ownership of the company and so it's it's very much uh i would say it's more of a a, a big family that's always drunk um than an empire <laughs> <laughs> but yes it's it's great i mean it's it's this is i can't express how much fun this is to to play in this world and i i'm i'm amazingly lucky people let me keep doing it so we can call it a commune rather than an empire yeah, it's like a it's like a hippie commune <laughs> <laughs> and wine should always be about fun. I think you've got that absolutely nailed too. Jason Wise, thank you very much indeed. Thanks for letting me ramble. I appreciate it, Peter. I love the idea of wine as a universe or or a springboard into all kinds of other subjects. And apparently we've got ghost wineries, uh-huh. the, the origin of wine and religion, and a behind-the-scenes film of the Rothschilds coming up, haven't we? We have, we have, we have. Apparently. Uh, among many things, <laughs> like I say, he's he's been a very busy man, he and his team. Um, so we can expect Ouija boards, um, Zoroastrianism uh, Z- and the like. Zoro what? <laughs> so you know, you, you just wanted hear, to get Zoro in this episode, didn't you? You don't hear much you? of that in Pete wine has podcast, a bit of a, but uh, you will a... see that on some TV. <laughs> anyway, Pete has uh, a Zoro fancy dress costume. No, I, I think they're two different things. Anyway, um, there's also quite a lot with um, with Stephen Spurrier, isn't there? You know, who, yep. Stephen, another friend and mentor and wonderful wine person who very sadly recently died. Um, I did talk to Jason about Stephen at length when we talked, but, you know, really annoyingly frustratingly, we, we just don't have time to fit that into this episode. But We'd be um, here for three hours. It would be the would. longest ever. It was a ever. wonderful chat and wonderful. Yeah. And hopefully we had a feature elsewhere sometime soon. But one of the films that um, I mentioned this for this reason that Jason's got coming up is on the real story behind The Judgment of Paris in 1976, the, the famous blind tasting organised by Stephen, where American wines famously bested French classics uh, and opened the floodgates to New World Wine. So that's that, that film is coming up yeah. soon. So lots of quality armchair time there, isn't there? Which will no doubt keep you very happy, Mr Richards. Um, So one other thing Mm. we should mention that uh, SOMTV, the team at SOMTV has very kindly given us a couple Mm. of decks of the Blinders game to give away. Uh, So just to explain, the idea of the game is that a few of you get together when we're allowed, of course. Uh, each brings a bottle, a secret bottle to taste. Secret bottle. Secret yeah. bottle. And the, the card game kind of makes it all into a fun, gently competitive uh, event, all based mm. around tasting and uh, learning about wine, but in a very it's, fun it's way. Fun. And it's fun. And the fun thing is, it's not about showing off. It sounds like a game where you're going to show off and it's no. the best. It's actually quite sneaky and quite fun. <laughs> Strategic. And, yeah, it is quite fun, actually. So it's worth checking out. But uh, you can find out more at blindersgame.com. But these packs are worth um, $35 uh, each about 25 pounds but you can win one for free uh we've got three to give away all you have to do is follow us on instagram or twitter um we are at Susie and peter on instagram at wine schools or at Susie barry on twitter uh like one of our posts about this podcast and leave a comment if you can uh, or equally if you're not on social media you can just email us at contact at susieandpeter.com good luck now mm. to wrap things up we wanted to just mention help for hospitality. Uh, So this is a service offered by restaurant wine supplier Berkman, Mm -hmm. whereby you can order wines, you get a 10% discount, and at the same time, they give some of the money either directly to a restaurant or hospitality venue of your choice uh, or to hospitality charities. So it's a good way, we reckon, to drink Mm -hmm. in style Mm -hmm. 
and support hospitalities and sommeliers. Yeah. And if you're in the UK, check it out, helpforhospitality.com. Yeah, we've got a couple of bottles here which we I'm just have gonna, um, to recommend. Um, mm. I've got a Serra da Estrella Albarino 2019. Um, this is gorgeous. It's, it's, it's fresh like Albarino should be, but it's also mm. quite rich and rounded. It's quite satisfying, mm. isn't it? It's really it is a bit richer than your mm. average Albarino, and that's really nice. Mm. That's really sunny and drinkable, isn't it? Gosh, yeah. lovely. Albarino, lovely. I think, Petzé Sommelier Classic. I would say fairly. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, great yeah. On the it's good for food. It really is. Mm. In general, it tends to work well Seafood. with food. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've got two reds here, or we've got two reds here as well. We've got the Massi Fresca Ripa Bardolino mm. 2019 Bardolino Classico DOC. Love this for it's just a bit more concentration than mm. your average Bardolino, yeah. but really lovely, juicy, creamy black cherry fruit. So drinkable. It's a perfect so springtime or summer drinkable. red, isn't it? Go- gorgeous, gorgeous. Oh, I, I, I love that. Yeah, and then and then a little bit more sort mm-hmm. of upmarket. Here we've got the La La Land uh, Pinot Noir, which is from Victoria in Australia. That to me was more kind of, it's beautiful Pinot. It's it's more oh. earthy and, mm. and gamey. And yeah. it's got a little bit of that sort of, well, that heart, hint of cherry oak, but in a really nice way. It's quite grown um, up though, isn't it? It's, it's pretty it's, grown yeah. up, but it's, it needs it's food. delicious. Oh, lovely. So, so three gorgeous wines Three there. gorgeous wines, as we'd expect from, from Berkman, who run this. Um, now, you can buy these in various different ways, um, but there are mixed cases that feature these wines. There's the Spring Reunion case, which is uh, £77.50 for six bottles. Or there's the Green Shoots case, which is £115 for 12 bottles. They are, I have to say, that's fantastic value for those that level of wines. I mean, and we're often sent wines, aren't we? And, you know, you yeah. a few from a case and you think, oh, they're all right. But actually those three, yeah, delicious you know, wines. really um, gorgeous. So well worth ordering those cases. Yeah. Um, apparently, Bertman have raised over £250,000 so far for hospitality. So it's They've been doing scheme. this a while, haven't they, with their health they and have. hospitality? Uh, you know, yeah. It's, it's yeah. well worth checking out. Do check it out. Yeah. So um, talking of checking out, I think that's our cue, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> to, to wrap things up it has been a long one thank you for joining us um but you know before we just finish everything i think it's really important you know what's our final word on, on sommeliers and you know the state of play the, the future it's, it's, it's difficult what's... to capture it all but mm, um mm. i think if you boil it down this has been an incredibly tough time for sommeliers uh, it's been a perfect storm you know on multiple fronts mm, mm. but as we kind of emerge from pandemic lockdowns and we're all desperate to get back out to restaurants sommeliers mm-hmm. are a vital part of that hospitality so mm-hmm. so you've got to hope that the sommelier profession will bounce back hopefully in a more diverse and inclusive yeah. way yeah. where necessary and and that meaningful change can really really start to happen in a you know very yeah. positive way yeah. but it's i mean it's not a short-term thing no it? you know i don't know hopefully hopefully i guess all these challenges can lead to positive change. but And I think that's about the right things being put in place now for the profession to be able to rebuild in the right way. Yeah, reset. Um, you know, and and I guess it, it's not just sommeliers either, but the whole wine world needs to do better in this sense. So everyone needs to be part of it. It's going to be a team effort, isn't it? Hmm. Um, and in the meantime... We should just celebrate sommeliers who yes. do such a brilliant job. Yeah. So here is raising a glass to all mm. of them and mm. to all of you. Mm. I'm sorry, you know, just wanted <laughs> Quick, uh, quick! Uh, you are a, raising was a glass, glass. Raise, wasn't it? You know, I think also we're raising our glass to Terry and Gerard, aren't we? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So thank you, as ever, to you lovely people for listening. It's a joy spending time with you. Stay safe and cheers. Cheers.